What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. You know me, I am your host, comedian Maxim Allen. Today is October 25th, 2021. It is a delightfully humid fall day in Brooklyn. I'm excited for the warm or the cooler weather. I'm excited for the warm weather to end so I can stop sweating. But today we have an awesome guest. I'm I'm breaking my streak of only talking comedy for a while. So I hope you hope you guys love today's episode. Uh, today I'm joined by a wonderful chef, a person who makes incredible food and has introduced me to some flavors I didn't know I existed. Everyone, please give it up for Chef Shagun. Thank you. <laughs> so thanks for coming on today. Thank you. You're welcome. So for the for the listeners, describe what what do you do today? What I did today, or not not like today, but like <laughs> okay, what I do. Um, currently I'm a chef mm-hmm. and um. I love to cook. I own my own catering company, and I do um, a pop-up um, restaurant event with um, wellness tea therapy. Then I'm also a motivational speaker. Nice. Such a great selection of things. Yes. So I met you through uh, Lee's job at Wellness Tea Therapy. Yes. So you're currently the chef there. Yes. And I know you, uh, <laughs> you've actually won some awards for your cooking, have you? Yes, I have. So what, what, have, you, what have you won? Um, I have won the best jollof rice competition, um, <laughs> 2017, the best, um, um, rice dish for New York for 2018. Wow. And I've also been at the James Beard, um, to, I've headlined an event at the James Beard oh. to cook for a lot of people that paid, you know, to come and eat. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yes. Those are some great awards. Also, uh, for the listeners, the Jalof rice is awesome. <laughs> he does still serve it. Yes. So come by Wellness Tea Therapy and check it out if you're in uh, Brooklyn. So, Chef, when does your when does your cooking journey begin? How long have you been cooking for? I started cooking when I was like four years old. Really? Yes, I would normally, you know, when my mom finished cooking in the kitchen, mm-hmm. I would sneak into the kitchen, take a little bit of food here and there. I would take the can, you know, that they use, and I would make a makeshift um, stove out of it <laughs> and just take it to the backyard. And I started experimenting with different kinds of food. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started. So you're just kind of messing around with like random flavors when you're a kid. Random flavors, random food. And it's basically I taught myself how to cook. Wow. So when you were that young, did you have a favorite food? Uh, crazily enough, I didn't have any favorite food. But I, I just knew that I love mixing flavor trying something new trying something different Mm -hmm. nobody else has done and i was just very inquisitive about okay if i mix this with this how would it come out and that's you know how i started and i am still as crazy as that up till now (laughs) (laughs) yeah one of the things i I really appreciate about you i mean you've been making some fun vegan dishes and when it's i love seeing that you come in and you're like how do you like it i've been thinking about doing this and this and this and adding new things it's cool to see that you're constantly experimenting with flavor it's pretty neat that that's like a through line since you were four (laughs) yeah (laughs) wow so when did you when did you start cooking and not in a take it out in the back and experiment did you start helping your family cook at all um by the time i was 10 everybody in the house actually preferred my food to any other person's food <laughs> so <laughs> really? I was the, for every occasion i was like the go-to person they were like oh you check the one cooking today everybody gets happy and all that but by 10 years i started baking mm-hmm. and um 
I would bake for my friend's birthday and all that. And people started taking note of that. And before you knew it, I was doing people's wedding cake at 10. And like the whole neighborhood knew that little kid that bakes, you know, birthday cakes and all that. And I was doing good business then. <laughs> you know? That's so, that's so young. That's incredible. Yes. So when, when your family, like when they start preferring your cooking over everybody else's, did you have a signature dish? Do you have something that everyone wanted? Um, I, Definitely. Did you love rice was a, like the bomb everybody loved that and i did all the things the way i do my meat the way i handle my chicken and all that it's just different and everybody like oh my god and when i started mixing fruits with you know which normally you don't find in african food as a young child like that i started you know experimenting with natural fruits Mm -hmm. getting the juice boiling it down mixing it with you know vegetables and all that i might parents are like okay where did you get all these ideas from and whatnot (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like okay that's just me i just love experimenting and you know it just picked up from then you know wow that that (laughs) that's incredible i've never heard of a 10 year old who makes better food than everyone else in their house yes it it, it was crazy like so you were you so you were just making like kind of african dishes that you were exposed to and then you started adding fruits into them yes and i i was just I wouldn't even call them African food okay. because I was just taking those African, um, you know, like the rice and everything that was available to me. Yeah. But I was creating this new dishes out of them mm-hmm. and not presenting them the way everybody did. Mm-hmm. And people were surprised. I'm like, oh, my God, where did you learn how to cook this and all that? You know, I'm like, <laughs> no, that's just, you know, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just, it's like, um, how would I put it? As an artist, if you're drawing and all that, you know, no, it's like basically nobody taught you how to draw. You just... You know, you're drawing things and all mm-hmm. that. And that's, to me, cooking is being creative, doing something new, mm-hmm. experimenting, you know. And that's how I started. And I, I didn't box myself then. And even mm-hmm. up to now, I don't I don't box myself. I still, you know, love to experiment a lot. Okay. Did you, so you were, did you have any family members or anyone you knew that helped guide you and teach you some things? Or was it just all? Um, like- I would say I learned a lot from my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Because my grandmother then had a restaurant. Okay. So, like, in would go to her house for holidays, and she would take me to the restaurant. And I was always in the kitchen helping out people and all that stuff. Mm. So, I saw a lot of, if you're talking of my traditional African root of cooking, I would say I learned from my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And as a lot of people now that are Africans, when I cook original, authentic, pre-colonial meals, they're okay. surprised. They're like, you're so young. How did you know how to cook this food i had this food last when i was like you know 40 years ago you understand (laughs) and uh, i'm so happy like she was able to pass down those recipes to me because what happened now is a lot of those recipes are disappearing because there's so much foreign influence in Mm -hmm. african food so i learned a lot from my and i still you know keep those authentic flavors and when i make those food i still try to make them as authentic as possible Mm. and people really appreciate that that you can eat what you've not eaten in a very very long time that's so cool i I love that that's that's amazing yes i like just (laughs) and also just like passing that down is like a legacy like now you know it and you can teach it to someone someone else else exactly that's fantastic so you mentioned you also got into baking and you were making wedding cakes? Yes, actually, that is, you know, it, it was crazy because um I had my, I think it was my sixth birthday mm-hmm. and my mother gave the someone the cake to bake, you know, and the person was actually my neighbor. Mm-hmm. So 
I would go to her when she's baking the cake and I'm looking at her. I'm like, oh, you're baking my birthday cake. I want to see how you do it and all that. And I was absorbing the way she was baking, mixing and all that. And I started experimenting. You know, I would fail. Then all of a sudden, you know, I became very, true trial and error, I became very good at it. Mm -hmm. I just started doing it. And when I did the first cake, it was like, you know, a love shape. I did the fondants and everything. It's not even now. Baking now, it's a little bit e more easier than, you know, then. Then, like, you have to mix the um, fondant by yourself. You have to shape on it by yourself. Even mm -hmm. the border fondant, you didn't have anything pre-made that you caught to cover the cake. You have to basically do everything. So it would normally take you like three days to do. Wow. So I would do that, do all the decoration, create whatever I want on the cake. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I started like that. And, you know, people started liking it. And I did for one friend. Another friend was like, oh, you're going to do my birthday. So by the time I was 10, you know, my own 10th birthday, I baked my cake. I cooked <laughs> almost all the food all my friends ate. And people were just like, it was becoming so embarrassing you know yeah too many customers and my father was like you know coming from an african home the first thing your father wants you to do is go to school yeah <laughs> so believe you have to be a chef so he was like no 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 you're not going to be doing this for business now okay so he he sent me to a boarding house mm -hmm. to school so that you know I'll get away from the distraction and all mm. that so did you did you continue cooking while you were away then? Oh yes, I <laughs> at the boarding house I was making snacks and selling them. <laughs> like okay, you just sent me to the right environment. So <laughs> I would make snacks and you know I was there, there's a, a course they called home economics. Yeah, uh, yeah, and home in home economics they teach you how to read food and do all that, and I was very good at it. And the teacher loved me, so she would always leave the key to the kitchen to me. <laughs> so I would sneak in, cook, bake all the snacks, meat pies and cakes and all whatnot, pack them, and mm. I would sell them to my friends. And you know, I was basically <laughs> still doing it. <laughs> That's funny. It sends you a way to get away from it, and then yeah. you just get better at being an entrepreneur about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what kind of snacks were you making? I was making meat pie. I'll do corn roll. I'll do bread. Mm. And, you know, basically little little things here and there, and. It, it was fun. Wow. So you're you're probably what? You said you were probably like, what, 10 to like how old? Um, when I was doing this? Yeah. Um, I did it from 10 to till I was like 16, 17. Okay. Because that was, I went to high school at 10. You know? Oh, wow. Yes. So it was through my high school, the whole six years of my high mm -hmm. school, I was still doing the same thing. So you're just cooking the whole time, making yeah, all sorts of the, stuff. Yeah, I was cooking the whole time. I, actually, I didn't even mention this. I was the best um um student chef mm -hmm. for the whole of Lagos State. Oh wow. During my um senior um school certificate exams. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so the the other students knew you as like the uh, cook. Everybody like knew me. Like when they come in they're like, okay, it's coming to create something crazy now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So when you when you wrapped up high school, did you have a plan to pursue cooking seriously as a career then? Um, I did. My whole idea was to be a chef, probably have my own restaurant and all that. But coming from an African background, your parents would insist on you going to school. Mm -hmm. I told my father I wanted to, you know, go to culinary school. And he was like, no, no none of my children is going to be a chef. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's either you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or you're this or you're that. But see, you're not. Like, no. 
Mm-hmm. So I did go to school. I did um, political science for so my first degree. Mm-hmm. Then I did history and international studies for so mm-hmm. my master's. Then um, and let me guess, you were cooking the whole time. Um, that period I was cooking, but not commercially. I was just cooking for you know friends, family, mm-hmm. and all that. But I wasn't doing it commercially the way I was doing it in high school because you know. College was very busy, and I had to work part-time with my father. He just kept me so busy. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have time to, you know, pursue that mm-hmm. dream. Okay. And when did you when did you start picking it up seriously after college? Um, after college, um, I started working for my father. And, mm-hmm. um, what, would, doing what? Um, he is a businessman. He has, um, like, shops where they sell electronics, TVs, and all that. Mm-hmm. And radio and um, like the CD players and all that. And normally you buy them from China. Yeah. So I was basically traveling. I was the one sourcing all the products and all that. Mm -hmm. And that sort of reminded me of my interest in cooking. Because going to all these countries, you go to Singapore, Dubai, Hong Kong, (laughs) you know, Indonesia. And you just see good food there i just go to restaurants the customers would take me to restaurants i see the way the chefs present the food and all yeah. that and it just i was like okay it's like my dream is sleeping by me mm. like it's like i'm not living my dream this is what i want to do right. i want to cook food like this i want to understand food like this so it, it was a passion for me so i decided okay you know what i am going to pursue this mm-hmm. so what i did was um i told my father i'm going on vacation normally you know every year i would take one or two times uh, mm-hmm. vacation and i told him i was coming to america mm-hmm. on vacation and that's how i came and i'm like okay an opportunity i'm i'm not going back <laughs> <laughs> i i think that it's funny the the reoccurring theme of him trying to discourage you and then him ending up sending you to do something that ends up encouraging you more, yes. right? Like seeing all these international foods. Of all the countries you vis- visited during that time, did you have any that really stood out that you really liked their food? Um, I love Chinese food. Yeah. And when I mean Chinese food, I don't mean what they sell here in New York. Right, right. Like, <laughs> I just love the passion mm-hmm. that they put into cooking their food, the presentation. It's like, how would I put it? It's almost like a ceremony mm-hmm. when you're having a real Chinese cuisine. Mm-hmm. It's like you have different, like 10 different kinds of cuisine on the table. You could pick whatever you want. The presentation is excellent. The taste is just fantastic. So for me, like I, that's, I, I always tell people, that's my number one nice. you know, food. Because people are like, oh, you're African. You should love African food. I do love African food, but mm-hmm. uh, listen, I would um, take a Chinese food any day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like, uh, Lee showed me a couple of YouTube series. There's one called, um, I think it's like a flavor of China is what it is. It's like these documentary episodes about the food they cook. Yes. We watched like a whole episode about how like hot pot in different regions and how they make the broth and stuff. And it's just, it's so intense. And 
I feel like being American, all my food, like my whole life, I feel like until I got to New York City, <laughs> is like hamburgers and French fries and Mexican food, you know? Yeah. And then seeing all these other types of food around the world that I've never had. It's so cool. It's cool. I, I think I watched that um, series on Netflix too. Mm. It just takes you to different parts of China and how they make their food. Mm -hmm. And as I always tell people, for me, the journey I have taken so far, everything sort of led me back to food. Yeah. Just shows you that food is a history of the people. You can know about people's history, mm -hmm. their lifestyle through the food. Mm -hmm. You understand the techniques they use. And I tell people, food unites us more than it divides us. Yeah. Because there's too much similarities in food from every part of the world mm -hmm. you know there's certain things i'll be looking for here that are african food that i cannot get fresh and i'll be like oh my god nobody gets it and to my surprise i will walk to a bangladeshi store and see the same thing i've been looking for all these years <laughs> finding out that they eat it and i could get it fresh from them i'm like yeah. oh my god i just discovered a pot of gold yeah so that's how <laughs> food is it's 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 not synonymous to warm Mm -hmm. particular set of people what you're eating here they might be eating it somewhere else in a different way mm -hmm. so food really connects us that's that's what i believe mm -hmm. is there any uh when so chinese food being your favorite is there any type is, is there any any elements of the chinese food you have that you brought back into your own cooking um how would i put it i do mix a lot of i know the um chinese they use a lot of um you know sesame oil mm -hmm. soy sauce and all that so i do incorporate some of that into my okay. cooking as well and you know f um deep frying and you know um after you deep fry you now you know cook it in the, um, the meat in a broth and all that stuff that i do you know include in my um, style of cooking as well okay nice so when you uh you you go on all these you go on uh, all these business trips you see all this food you find out you love chinese food you come back and then you say you're going to go on vacation in America yes. and uh, you don't come back. Yes. So what, what was coming to America like and what what was your plan for cooking here? Uh, my plan um, was, number one, I wanted to go to somewhere that um, I could really live my dream, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, do the thing I want because, you know, you do watch the movies and there's a big painting of America to be, you know, the land of the free, mm. a great place where you can live your dreams. But you can only live your dreams if you can pay your bills here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I got here, I, it wasn't as I planned. Yeah. So I just started. Then I changed my visa to international students. So I had to go to school all over again. Right. So I had to do biology. Oh, you didn't go to culinary school this time around? No, I couldn't go to culinary school because mm. um, the amount, the amount then was very expensive. Right, right. You know, and uh, I just couldn't afford it But mm -hmm. because I had to pay out of pocket. My father was not going to send me any money because I rebelled and ran away from home. Yeah. Know? So I went to school and um, I finished school and um, I was doing my clinicals one day. Even before that, you know, I was going to church. There was a time they had a very big event in the church and the person they catered the food to disappointed them. And mm -hmm. it was a week to the event and they were busy looking for caterers and all that. And I'm like, okay, I think I can cook. Mm -hmm. I'll handle the food. They're like, you're sure? So I did cook for everybody, almost like a hundred people. And that's right here there. in the US? Yeah, here okay, in yeah. New York. So that was how I started. After that event, yeah. people started 
calling me. Can you make this for me? Can you make that for me? Can you do my wedding and all that? Mm. So that was how I registered my business. I started part-time mm-hmm. and I was working. I was doing my clinicals then. And one day I was, because when I was doing my clinicals, I was um, taking to the hospice care for kids that are, you know, about to pass. And psychologically, yeah. I couldn't handle that. Right. And I was like, okay, this is not what I want to do. And I mm-hmm. just made up my mind and quit. Mm-hmm. And it was tough at the beginning, but I believed in my dream and I continued, you know. And before you know it, I was getting events. I was doing events. Mm-hmm. And even got up to catering for the mayor of New York <laughs> twice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. For the African Heritage Festival, that's like okay. feeding almost like 2,000 people. Yeah. So I did that in coordination with the mayor's chef and we organized everything and it's been well, up, up, up since then. <laughs> so, okay. so how do you how do you get an opportunity like that? Did you just like were you just can, did enough events that you eventually got connected this way? Um, how would I put it? I think um, I did that after winning the award mm-hmm. for the best jollof rice. You know, the news I got a uh, a lot of news coverage. Mm-hmm. New York News Twelve, CCTV International, yeah. and all that, and. So probably they found my name somewhere and the mayor chef reached out to me like, oh, we're having this um, African Heritage Festival for mm-hmm. the first time. And I've been trying to find around and almost like three people have recommended you to me. So, okay. Wow. That, that, that was how I got that um, connection. What an incredible opportunity. Yes, it was a very good opportunity for me. So you started your business. Essentially, you came here, you cooked for a church event, and then from there, it just became word of mouth. Word of mouth. People recommending you. Yes, and it's it's still... I do get a lot of businesses through the internet, but when I do a wedding, I'm getting like maybe four or five weddings from that one wedding. Wow. I I honestly, I didn't know that you did so many events because oh, I did I know a couple weeks ago we were gonna do this podcast but you were doing you were doing another African yeah, festival had, right yeah we're doing the African festival then I had like two other events mm-hmm. that I was catering so wow so let me ask you this when you so when did you so you kind of grow up and you're cooking for your family you're cooking for smaller groups of people what was your first like big catering event like switching from cooking for like how like you know um, my first big catering event was probably my tenth birthday. That was like probably eighty people. Okay. Yeah. And how do you how do you find how did you find cooking for that many people versus cooking for just a smaller amount? Was there challenges for you or? Um, for me, it's there's no challenge. The the main thing is I am very particular about the kind of food I make, and I okay. put so much love into my food. Like mm-hmm. if I cannot eat it, I cannot serve it. Right. So with my food, even when we have events for like six, seven hundred people, mm-hmm. I have um, staffs that would help me do the prep work. But when it comes down to the cooking and tasting and doing all that, I do that by myself. Okay, so you you you're very particular about your quality control. Exactly, mm. the, the food has to come out good. If I cannot have it, I don't want to put it out there. Not even one plate. Right. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. That's good. So when you when you're doing these bigger events, then you have a lot of people helping you. Yes. And okay, so they're doing all the prep work, and prep you're work. putting together yeah, the finished putting, product. Putting together the finished product. And okay, how do you find how do you do you enjoy leading a team of people to do that? Yes, I do enjoy leading a team of people. But when it comes to the administration part or delegation of duty, I have somebody help me do that because I'm not so good at delegating people mm. to do things. Okay. Know? So when you when you like 
at this first big church event, did you have people helping you or did you do that all yourself? Um, the first, I basically cooked all that food myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I did all that food myself. That's, did they have a big kitchen you could use at least? Yeah, they have the big kitchen. So That's I started good. like a day early. And... Mm-hmm. Okay. So and what, what year was that? Cause you mentioned the Jerloaf Rice competition was 2017. That was before then. Um, I think that was 2014. Okay. Gotcha. And I registered my business 2015. Okay, wow. So, <laughs> in in three years, you had a very quick turnaround. Yes, that's amazing. Wow. Did you have any? Did you have any um, events that were like particularly difficult that stood out to you? Um, for every event I do, it's always challenging mm-hmm. because I like to customize people's wedding. I right. want to like if you've gone to my one wedding before and you. Go to another wedding, I cater. I don't want you to have the same experience. I want it to be different. So it's always a challenge. I want to coordinate the colors that the bride and the groom are using mm-hmm. for decoration and all that. I want to incorporate it into the food. Right. So it's always, for me, it's always a challenge. Mm-hmm. So I do, you know. But uh, there's some difficulties, especially when you're catering African events. They tell you, oh, we're going to have 200 people and 500 people shows up. And <laughs> times the food will not be almost enough. So if you don't wow. have proper, you know organization everybody's mm-hmm. gonna think okay the chef didn't cater for enough people not knowing the people told these 200 and 500 people showed up wow so in instances like that there's nothing i can do i can stretch right. the food to feed maybe 400 but not 500 people so wow so so when you do like these events you're you're estimating to feed even more people and i have so especially when it comes to african events mm-hmm. because they don't we don't do things by rsvp okay most people are like okay they invited you you bring like two or three people extra with you that are your friends you know it's like a free for all wow so when um they're telling me to when i advise couples i'm like okay how many people are you expecting they say 100 i'm saying okay we're gonna prepare for 250 <laughs> then we they pay for 250 i prepare for 350 in case it's more than that wow so but at times even when you go to that extent to prepare is still not enough <laughs> that's so many people to cook for <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's a lot of people to cook for and an average nigerian african wedding you're talking of three four hundred people oh my god <laughs> i'm just thinking like every wedding i've been to in my life so far i've only been to like probably four or five it's always like 75 people <laughs> oh, we don't like africans like we we don't have events like that. Mm-hmm. It's always a lot of people, a lot. Because mm-hmm. everybody, they, they believe it's a one, once in a lifetime and we are very communal people. So, right. you know, they bring families from everywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> so, and, and you can imagine doing like 2019, we did 32 weddings mm-hmm. in 2019. And we're on set to do like 46 in 2020 then the pandemic hit and everything just went yeah wow that's 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 almost a wedding a week yeah that's some like two weeks some week we had two three weddings wow so when you this uh this estimating for uh more guests to come is that a lesson you learned the hard way or the first time you did a wedding you just knew that we're gonna have to do i learned it the hard way yeah like through me catering events and Will tell you this and the food is not enough and everybody ends up blaming the chef yeah you understand there are times they don't even organize for drinks at the events mm-hmm. you understand and 
they did not pay for drinks. Yeah. They did not allow, tell us to bring drinks or plates and all whatnot. So I learned, you know, while doing the job and, you know, it's always difficult because it, it looks bad on your business. People are going to think they gave you everything. So now, like before we do anything, I make sure we clarify all that. Yeah. Before, you know, we go ahead. And some couples too, before, like I would like, okay, you have to pay. 50% before the event and 50% outside after mm -hmm. the event. But what I found that is after the event is done, people don't want to pay and I end up losing <laughs> a lot of money. So now wow. it's like two weeks before your event, you have to pay 100% if you really want us to cater your events. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, th there's a lot of things you learn. Wow. That's like a, along the way. That's all kind of like, I feel like even though this is specifically catering, those are themes that I've encountered with a lot of people in different types of freelance work, you yes. know? Like even when I do stuff, I'll help people edit their podcasts or record things. And if they come to me for help, I up top say, here's everything I'm going to do. Here's everything you need to do. I am not going to do these things. And it's this much money. Like you have to so clearly set expectations, you know, so no one's feelings get, gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. So like I've, I've learned to do that now. Like I don't, I, I tell people you pay before it wasn't a problem because yeah really I, I wasn't cooking i didn't go to you know the culinary you know industry to make money initially right you understand but at the end of the day if it's something i want to do every day i need to pay my bills i need to expand <laughs> right so i started learning that okay you cannot just do it for love mm -hmm. you have to do it to make money that way you can grow and you know secure something for yourself and for your children and all that stuff so mm -hmm. the business part of it i learned the hard way yeah you know but i i'm happy i learned it and mm -hmm. I, i'm better at managing my business now because you know i learned the hard way yeah totally do you have um do you how do you employ like the same people or do you have a pool of people you pick from to help you out yes i have like 90 percent of my staffs are part-time mm -hmm. but they're constantly the same set of people because when these are experienced people when we have three weddings i can't be at the three weddings at the same time mm -hmm. so i need capable hands so i i have like three teams yeah and each team has a leader and they can go to any event you know after we cook the food oh wow you know? so i have the teams that go to the events who serve and all whatnot and i have the kitchen staff that you know help me cook and all that stuff Oh wow! I didn't even think about that. So you're you're cooking all of this in one spot, and then you're they're bringing in setting up the hot plates yes, and all that. Yeah, exactly. And we send them, pack them in coolers, mm -hmm. foil pans, and all that, and send them to the different locations. Wow. But, yeah, but now, like f for me, I'm at that point. If you want me to appear at your wedding, yeah, as a <laughs> chef, maybe there's a plating <laughs> and all that. You have to pay separately for that, right? Because I want to put value on myself totally you understand so if you're going to pay for the chef appearance fee good i'm going to show up but right now if you're not paying for me to show up i'm not going to show up i'll just send the staff there to mm -hmm. do everything i've done the food they know what to do so i don't necessarily have to be there right i mean that makes sense do you have like a uh, a special cool wedding chef outfit you wear if you make the appearance oh yes i do i yeah. have a lot of chef outfits <laughs> a lot i mean i always see you at tea therapy so i was in a t-shirt and jeans you know? yeah because it's it's a cool vibe and you know that uh, it's another interesting story about me um coming to uh, wellness tea therapy you mm -hmm. know i came there uh during the pandemic because basically there was no business there was nothing i 
you know, I was doing. And no events, no weddings. Exactly. Yeah. And I was at home. I was experimenting with a lot of flavors. I started fermenting spices and all whatnot for like five, six weeks, some 16 weeks. And I was coming up with all this beautiful flavor. And I'm like, mm. okay, for a wedding, they, there's a particular food they want. But how can I taste this? How can I know people are going to gravitate towards this? Mm. Then uh, one of my friends introduced me to Dr. V and the husband. And I spoke with them and we're like, okay, can I be doing a pop-up here? And that's how we started. And we've been going since then. So there is mm. like, apart from, you know, me bringing my food to people, it's like a litmus test where I test my product too. Interesting. So you, you weren't necessarily doing that type of work before the mm, pandemic no and then you were like i'm you're you wanted to use it as an avenue to like test it out try it out for your later events yes and now it's like a whole separate thing uh, yeah now it's just a whole separate thing and people eat it they like it i'm like okay i'll i'll include it in my menu if i have a tasting for people to wait in like mm -hmm. the tamarindo chicken now like almost everywhere then i have to make that mm -hmm. you know and some other food too like people taste and like and i have to now you know make it for my weddings and all that because from the street you get real feedback from people right you know, whatever mistakes you're making what you're not doing well you know because i it's a street and nobody knows like okay oh he's a big chef or he has this company everybody sees me as a regular guy and i like that yeah i'm approachable you know i've mm. had some quite some you know flips here and there somebody come oh the meat is tough the one I bought the last time it was too tough. Oh, it's undercooked and all that. So that mm -hmm. gives me like a real feedback. And I'm able to like, okay, let me correct it. I have to do it this way. Okay, I want the flavor. I still want, you know. So it, it helps me build that, you know. Yeah. Um, relationship with people. And um, I might open up a restaurant. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I would gravitate towards opening a catering hall. Okay. Yes. So what would a catering hall be then? Is that a space for events where it's easy yeah. for you to cook for them, basically? Yeah. Okay. So, because I am so used to cooking for six, seven hundred people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's like a part of me. Now, I don't know how to cook small anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to cook small anymore. That's funny, because all you do all day is cook small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I now, like... Because when I cook for wellness tea therapy, I that, that I do have um like I have supplies to Kings County and downstates too. Mm -hmm. So I have people take food there and all that oh. stuff. So there are many food we sell here too. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I interesting. Did. Yeah. So I I want to talk about the weddings also. How do you how do you pick a what you're gonna cook for someone's wedding? Do they give you feedback or do you um normally when you want to wed? People would ask me, okay, can you send us your menu? I was like, okay, yes, I'll send you the menu. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want that is not in the menu, I'll make it for you. Mm -hmm. So they would choose what they want. They add whatever they want. And we do a random sampling Yeah, and have a tasting. And from there, you know, we decide, okay, this is what we're going to do. But one thing I learned doing business with my father is you never say no and you never say you don't have anything. Mm. So if I have a per Peruvian couple wanting to wed, I would say yes to their food, tell them what food they want. I'll make research about the food, mm. learn how to cook it, add my own little twist, and I'll cater the weddings. And it's always coming, like, in New York right now, like, I'm one of the top 
cross-cultural chefs here like any african marrying an italian marrying like the first person they would want to call is me because i'm very diverse that way i, I don't restrict myself wow okay well, okay this is crazy because i was <laughs> going into this show i was like yeah he cooks great food at <laughs> wellness tea therapy it's awesome i don't want to hear about this i didn't know the scope of the cooking projects that you've done and that you're a part of that's that's wild wow <laughs> yeah that's so cool do you did you do any weddings stand out as like have you had an experience with a wedding where you've cooked just like the best food you've ever cooked or any that stand out as like you got to make your favorite menu or something like that? Um, I've done a lot of weddings. I can't really pick yeah. out a, a favorite, but I can pick out a wedding that is the most challenging. And I was surprised that we rose up to the challenge. Oh, yeah? What and was it? That was when we had a cater for 680 people, mm-hmm. all plated. Oh, as opposed to like buffet style. Exactly. Oh, wow. And it's not the same kind of food. They had the option of picking out of five different kinds of food and they had to choose it over there. At the, mm-hmm. It's almost like a restaurant. Okay. So they choose it and we had to dish it and it was crazy, but I was surprised we pulled it off. Wow. So they, but they chose it on the wedding day. On the wedding day. Wow. Cause normally when you go, they like are the RSVP, RSVP and all yeah. that. It didn't work with these people. <laughs> it didn't work but that's where experience comes in like if i'm catering a nigerian wedding i know what people like to mm-hmm. what, what people like to eat more yeah so when i have situations like that where i have to do plating i do more of what i know a lot of people want mm-hmm. and do a, a medium or average of you know what it's you know right and we're lucky at times we do like three weddings so uh uh a, a saturday mm-hmm. so at times one of the wedding we might be having surplus food and all whatnot and if it's within the area if we shot there we're like okay can you bring us two trays of this three trays of that mm-hmm. to supplement and it it is really you know always build us out but that was a challenge that was the most challenging event even the mayor's mm-hmm. event that we had to feed almost like a thousand something people wasn't as challenging as that because he had enough people and it was like a buffet style yeah and all those parts around and all that but this was like plating mm-hmm. and the food has to be warm when you're giving it to them and i'm a perfectionist the plate yeah. has to look in a particular way it mm-hmm. has to be beautiful and all that stuff so so were you were you at the wedding that day i was at that particular wedding because the couple um number one i knew it was going to be a challenging task and yeah that my staff were not used to mm-hmm. and the 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 couple, they were, they were a biracial couple and they wanted me there and mm-hmm. paid for me to be there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So you you were doing the plating yourself or were you just oh, doing I, it together with a bunch oh, of people? Oh, together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have like experts. Like I have great bladers. So, oh, okay. Yeah, my team is like fantastic. <laughs> They're all like me. So they played wonderfully, beautifully well. But I, wow. I just come up with the idea of how I want the plate to look. I do like the five samples and boom everybody takes it and go okay yeah. nice so like that that's actually great that yeah having good people to rely on where you can just be like this is how we're gonna do it and then all of them just step in line and do it yes that's awesome wow <laughs> i can only imagine the fiasco though of doing all those on the fly yeah the the main thing i always ask is okay does the venue have a big kitchen because i need a big kitchen if i'm gonna do plating yeah because we want to plate like 50 at a go mm-hmm. and it has to be done under 10 minutes yeah so 
it, it, it has to be big. If it's not big, then mm-hmm. you know, I, I won't be able to do plating. So on that particular day, did they have a big kitchen? Oh, very big. Nice. They had two kitchens, one in the top floor, one in the bottom mm-hmm. floor. So we used the two kitchens. I told, okay, you guys do 100 place of this year. You guys do 100 place of that. And the food came out. And in under 40 minutes, we served everybody. Wow. That's that's wild. <laughs> it, it was wild and crazy. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm getting stressed out just thinking about managing all that. <laughs> it's, it's, it was wild and crazy, but you know it was good. The feedback was nice. People loved the food, and I think I got almost like six weddings from that particular wedding. After we catered it, people were like looking for us like crazy. Wow! And they, I, we made the venue look good too. Mm-hmm. So the venue was sending people to us too as well wow that's that's awesome holy shit <laughs> that's so cool so you you mentioned you mentioned this earlier um that i was curious about so you mentioned that you started doing working with wellness tea therapy to try out recipes in the street yeah. have there been recipes that you've started doing in that time that have now made it to your wedding menus oh yes yeah like almost 80 percent 80%. Mm-hmm. Do you have any that were experiments that you wanted to work but just weren't working out? Uh, like I tried the pineapple fish. It didn't work out the way I wanted, mm-hmm. you know. But I, you know, worked on it and it, I perfected it, you know. And mm-hmm. people really liked it and, you know. That that would be the only miss, I would say. Okay, wow. So, I mean, you're pretty good at this, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, do you have any projects right now that you're working on? You're trying to like you make work as a recipe. Oh, like recipe? Oh yeah. I have a lot of recipes I'm working on every yeah. day. Like because I'm as I told you, I am very experimental chef. Mm-hmm. So I'm working with a lot of spices. I go to different I I I I don't limit myself. I'll go to Bangladeshi store today, go to a Korean store tomorrow, go to an Indian store. I want to buy a new spice. I want to buy something they use and, you know, mm-hmm. try it. So that's how I've always been working. But one great thing I discovered now is like when you ferment spices, mm-hmm. you get a lot of flavor out of them. Mm-hmm. So I've started fermenting a lot of different spices and the flavors that come out of that is incredible. Mm-hmm. So I am planning on actually bottling them at some point, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I have people use those, you know, as the basis for whatever food they're making. Interesting. That's really cool. What? So what's what's what would be the process of fermenting a spice? Um, like what I do is I get the spice, and I just get um the sugar and um water, the syrup, and all. Oh, that. Okay. Then just pour them over it and close it in a jar. Then it starts the fermentation process. Okay. It sounds like alcohol, like vinegar mm-hmm. and all that. Then when it's ripe, I take it out. Okay. What have been your favorite from favorite spices you've fermented so far? Um, The tamarindo spice, the one I use for the tamarindo chicken, that takes 16 weeks to brew. 16 weeks? Yes. <laughs> so I'm always like brewing almost every time so that I don't run out because like, I use it a lot. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of like secret spices I put in there. In that alone, I think I have like 14 different spices I ferment together to create that flavor. Wow. That, <laughs> that's, that's wild. Yeah. So is your, is your apartment, is your home just like full of bottles of fermenting spice? Yeah, it is. And, you know, you always have a problem. So I, there's a room that I'm not using there. Yeah. That, you know, so we just have the 
shelf and all that. Mm-hmm. I had the carpenter made a shelf and I just put all the bottles there, whatever I'm fermenting, whatever I'm pickling and all that. So. <laughs> You've also gotten into pickling recently? Oh, uh, yeah. Nice. Because you, you, you made um, what the the recent one because i i ordered this vegan beef dish from you oh yeah and one week it was not pickled and the next week you're like i started pickled pickling them pickling the the, it was actually the pepper i pickled right right i used so how how do you enjoy that process pickling things it's very interesting and Mm -hmm. one i tried yesterday is um pickling these things with teas pickling with tea so do you just add like add some vinegar to whatever you're pickling and then throw some tea in there as well? Yeah, throw some tea in there as well. And the teas you get to like really taste a unique flavor. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that's and, and that works very well. We I tried it with eggs and it's mm-hmm. boiled eggs and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of tea did you use? Um I think I used um the regular Lipton. Okay. Yeah. You work in a tea shop and you went for Lipton? <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, I'm crazy like that. That's what I had in my, because I was at home. I'm like, okay, yeah. let me just try this. So with time, I'm going to try the jasmine tea and all these teas and see, mm-hmm. you know, how we can incorporate them into pickling. That's such an interesting idea. I've never heard of anyone doing something like that, like pickling with tea. Yeah, I. it was crazy too when I did. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I just, I'm, I'm just like that. I'm very inquisitive. I'm just, mm-hmm. I play a lot with food. It's Listen, 90% of the time it doesn't work out. Yeah. And the 10% is what's the 90% not working out because then you come out with something great. Like yeah. People will be like, okay, what is this? Mm-hmm. I don't get this. Where did you, the flavor is just new and nice and everybody mm-hmm. likes it. And once everybody likes it, you know, everybody, we all come from different parts of the world. We have different palates. Right. But once you're able to unite everybody to like one particular thing, you've done a great job as a mm-hmm. chef. That's definitely true. I feel like that's the uh, the jollof rice moment for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> jollof rice is actually crazy. You, you wouldn't believe the jollof rice is... I've kept my recipes since the first time I started cooking jollof as a four years old. And that's the same recipe I've kept up till now. And it just tastes different from... Like, if you taste my jollof rice somewhere, you know it's like I'm the one that made it. Like, it just has that signature taste to it. Wow. So... Also, like with the jollof rice, how did you get in this competition for the the rice dish? Uh, the, the jollof, we called out for competition for chefs to come out and all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a whole battle thing in Africa that like, who makes the best jollof and all that. So, so I'm <laughs> like, okay. I went to the event. I didn't go for competition because I'm not a competition person. I mm-hmm. just went. It was a big festival. Yeah. I just went to sell my food and everything. Everybody was sitting in the phone. I'm like, oh, are you not part of the competition? Are you not doing the competition? Are you? I'm like, okay, you know what, guys? Let's play and submit our food for the competition. Mm-hmm. And we did. And the judges loved it. And the judges were not like only, they had only one African among them. Every other person was from a different part of the world. Wow. You know, and they were like, oh, wow. that Somebody actually said, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've had in my life. And that alone was <laughs> what's more than whatever i would have won at that competition yeah yeah when you hear things like that you're like oh my god that's good wow what an amazing feeling i yeah. feel <laughs> i feel like it's that's like the the thing that's like a lot of the creatives even comedians is like 
for me, it's like if I get a good laugh at a show, it feels good. If someone comes up to me after the show and be like, I really liked your stuff, I'm like, I would die for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, uh, and that's why I love doing festivals. I love yeah. outside. When, you know, you get good feedback. Like mm -hmm. the last festival we did, um, that was two weeks ago. Because any mm -hmm. festival, any new event, I have to do something new. Yeah. So I did this Rasta mac and cheese, mm -hmm. which is just a new flavor. Nobody ever done Rasta mac and cheese. <laughs> Rasta, uh, Rasta seafood mac and cheese. Okay. So I did that and mm. it was like, oh my God. People ate it the first day. Mm -hmm. The next day, even in the rain, people showed up to come and buy that rust it didn't last 30 minutes wow <laughs> wow so what what so i've been seeing this on the menu too the like the rasta pasta and the rasta mac and cheese what what makes it the rasta um the, 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 it's not the rasta is not even in the menu yet because i just discovered that two weeks ago okay yeah the, um what makes it rasta is the fact that you incorporate the jamaican jerk into it okay and yeah. the jerk is just the combination of spices spices right? yes okay gotcha so you, you did a seafood mac and cheese with the the yeah Caribbean. but the, 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 the way i do it i do it in such a way that the the mac and cheese is not um it's not stuck together it's okay set, it's moist and mm -hmm. lovely and nice you know and okay you could taste each and every one of those flavors <laughs> i think i would have that this saturday though that that would be awesome honestly like i think uh you gotta try you gotta get lee to try that she hates, yeah she, she hates mac and cheese but i think oh, you can convert her <laughs> no she's tried my mac and cheese and she's like no chef this is good <laughs> <laughs> wow that's awesome so what so you said you run you won this competition with your jello fries in 2017 yeah then there was another competition in 2018 yeah um, 2019 2019 yeah. Was that like the same like festival? No, it was or? a different. This one is now not African. It was like uh, an event, mm -hmm. Black Men Cooking for Change. Okay. So they had all like black people come together, black mm -hmm. chefs and all that. So Nice. Uh, my Jalof won the best rice dish again. So <laughs> That's awesome. It's so it's so well deserved. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious about this. How do you manage your time? Like, because I see you work at tea therapy basically five days of the week and you're there early until like eight or something, right? So when do you manage your time to coordinate weddings and experiments? Um, I, I do. I'm a night owl. So okay. I do nights and I'm off like Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays I'm off. So I'm oh, able okay. to do all that. That's why I took those days off. Mm. I take, it, take time to take care of myself, run, sleep, eat you know outside i love eating out a lot i mm -hmm. i rarely cook for myself <laughs> <laughs> really yes i rarely cook for myself so I, I love eating out where where do you have favorite spots near you uh i love to go to fushimi i love japanese food okay and why i like fushimi is because it's a little bit close to an authentic japanese cuisine a little bit not mm -hmm. so much you know? okay because the problem i find even with african restaurants here is they have um americanized all the food and yeah once you americanize the food you've taken the identity of the food away from the food right you understand mm -hmm. so you there has to be authenticity yep the food has to be authentic mm -hmm. i believe in you know we can play around with flavor and all but not then i know i'm creating my own food mm -hmm. but when it comes to certain food the food has to be authentic. Like jello fries, you 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 cannot be authentic with jello fries because 
originally jollof rice is a post-colonial food. Okay. People didn't start making jollof rice till, you know, the colonial masters came to Africa, they introduced tomatoes mm-hmm. because tomato is not our thing. Right. It's a so, that's a Western hemisphere. Yeah. yeah. So it's not our thing. So they introduced, you know, the Wolof people started cooking jollof rice and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so with jollof you can do but there's some certain things like a goosey. A goosey is a pre colonial dish. Mm-hmm. You understand? You cannot westernize that. Yeah. You understand? I see a lot of people trying to westernize it. You add lobsters, you add fresh shrimp and all that. We don't do that with a goosey. It has to have the right component, the right spices. Make it as original as possible. Don't mm-hmm. complicate it. Then people are gonna really love the flavor and the tasting. Because what we don't know is um food carries the DNA of our ancestors as black people and Africans, especially because it is our story. Mm-hmm. You understand? So I I'm very particular when it comes to creating authentic African food. I want it to be as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem I have with most African restaurants. Mm-hmm. If I get to open a restaurant, I'm going to do it the way my grandmother did it. And I believe it's carrying that culture around for the younger generation. I want people to be able to taste authentic African food. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah. With authentic African spices. And I go through a lot to get the African spices. I'll tell you that. Like, really? Yes. I get shipment almost like one or twice every two, three months. Mm-hmm. My mother has to buy a lot of spice, go to the market and all that stuff mm-hmm. and send them down because I basically I have to make all the spice and prepare them here. Wow. Because what I found out is I can't even buy some of the spices in African market. They don't bring them. Wow. And some of the ones they already bring, they've already blended it. And I taste it and it's not complete because I have that palate. I can taste every spice and mm-hmm. everything I eat. So I'm like, no, I'm going to make my spice myself. I'm going to get all this authentic spice. And you're going to dry it and grind dry, it up. Grind it up and, you know, do it myself. And that's the same thing. It's just like the suya now. Like, you cannot buy the original suya spice anywhere in new york i've tried all the places they sell them they're just not authentic Mm -hmm. some of them are mixed with what i don't know right but when you bring it from home you know bring all the spices and blend it together you know you you get something authentic you get Mm -hmm. what then then you can call it african food right wow i (laughs) you're also running imports to get food that's crazy yes we have we have to do that like wow that's it's so much effort. And one thing you mentioned, like with the authenticity. So you you love to experiment with your food. Are is there anything on your menu right now that's like truly authentic that you want to always have there? Oh yeah, like the agusi is very authentic. Mm-hmm. What is what is agusi? Agusi is like a melon seed. Okay. It's almost like the sunflower, the seed. Okay. But it's not sunflower. This is like a melon. Like they get the seed. The seed mm. has this cheesy taste. Okay. And it, it is um used in making soup that you eat the fufu with. Okay. Yes. Nice. And the goosey, I'm trying to even experiment with the goosey now because the goosey, like it has a very cheesy flavor. Mm-hmm. And for vegans, you know, you can actually get real cheese from that goosey that's going to taste like cheese. Whoa. That's what I'm working on now. If I finish a product, you're going to be my <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> to test it as usual. It would make me so happy. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'll i just say, like, as a vegan, like, 
it's there are a lot of just vegan restaurants, right? And a lot of them are just kind of American style vegan food. And when you start making vegan dishes and I got to try them, it makes me so happy that like someone who's experienced in cooking as you are willing to try and experiment with vegan dishes. It's like, it's the best feeling ever. So I'd be so excited to try that out. Yeah. And a lot of, listen, a lot of African food are vegan. Actually. Really? A lot of African food are vegan. You know, like the taro delight, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the background, that's an African match GM. That's vegan. Yeah. The, 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 P, um, the corn and beans, mm -hmm. black eyed peas, beans. It's African. It's vegan. Mm -hmm. You understand? A lot of African food are vegan, mm -hmm. but it, 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 people have lost some of this food. Yeah, down the line. But I have not lost. I still have all this recipe, great recipes mm -hmm. in my head. You know. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I was also curious is fufu vegan naturally? Naturally, it's vegan too. Okay. Because I used to, Lee and I actually, we met at Buka, the Nigerian restaurant, and they always had the fufu there. And I I didn't know anything about African cuisine, so I didn't know what I could try or not and what was... Yeah, but the fufu, you have to eat it with the soup. And I right. think the soup, they don't make it vegan then. Right. But I could experiment making this, the soup vegan. Because it's, it's like... Because I have the vegan meat, so... Yeah, because and for the listeners, basically it's like it's like a doughy kind of bread that you yeah, use to dip dip in sauces in, in sauces and eat. Okay, wow, that's. I mean, I I I really <laughs> really wanted to try it. <laughs> but when you're trying it, oh lord, don't eat too much because that's a heavy food. It makes you <laughs> go to bed. It makes you sleepy. Yeah. So also, I was going to ask you this: Do you, Have you ever written a cookbook? Um. I am currently writing one right yeah. now, but I've not. I'm still in chapter one. Yeah, <laughs> because like, how would I put it? As I always, I know myself. I don't like doing what everybody does, and right, I, there are a lot of great cookbooks out there. But I don't just want to create a recipe book. I want to create a book that tells a story. Mm -hmm. So the way I'm writing my book is, I am starting from my four years old i'm telling all my stories mm -hmm. then after that i have the food by the side and how i made it then so it's like almost a biography and a cookbook okay so that's why it's taking time for me mm -hmm. to do it so i'm in chapter one i would hurry up on it and i i need to get it out that i know because mm -hmm. yeah, you said you have all these great traditional recipes in your head yes. and i'm <laughs> i was like is he gonna write them down for anybody <laughs> oh yeah i will i will i will write them down i i would even write when i do the cookbook because mm -hmm. they're not my recipes anyway they are like traditional yoruba recipes and i can put them in the book for the next generation mm -hmm. i'll be doing a good service to the next generation mm -hmm. so because i have each of those foods i have had experience with them then they have stories behind them and those mm -hmm. stories i want to tell in the cookbook i'll tell the story of how i came in contact with that food how i learned how to cook it then i'll put the recipe right by the side mm -hmm. so that's my plan i hope i finish it um <laughs> before next year nice when, when did you start writing that um I actually started writing it um, March this year, and I'm not a lazy writer, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, need to, I need to get into that headspace. Yeah, kind you of, know. I get it. It's kind of like a side project you start yeah, and exactly. you pick up later. You pick up later, but, you know, I started it already, and I would put my effort into finishing it. That would be, be honestly super great. I would love to check that out and learn about it. I, oh, feel, yeah. I feel like, as a white American guy, <laughs> I know nothing about African cuisine. I feel like 
like my journey of like culinary tastes has been slowly stepping into new types of cuisine yeah. and like new cultural cuisines and stuff. And like with Lee, like right, like she's Chinese, being able to experience like authentic Chinese food and have someone guide me and be like, this is what you want. This, this is vegan. What, you can mm-hmm. have this. Like, this is really good. This is what we would eat back home. Like, it makes the experience like so rich, you know, as opposed to just going somewhere and being like, I don't know. Can I, I get know. the sesame can chicken? I, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so food is life. Food is interesting. Food is a story. Food is history. Like, how would I put it? It's a uniting factor. Food is very powerful. And mm-hmm. people people need to understand that food is very, very powerful. And you, you know, the fascinating thing about it is because I'm an historian, I studied history. I have my master's in history, international study. Mm-hmm. And one thing I found out is in me exploring African food and different parts of Africa, through the food and the system of the way they cook, I could actually without even checking the gene, know that, okay, I think these people migrated from these people because if from this place, because if they could be cooking the same way and they have the same similar vegetable as people, like our typical example is people from Congo mm-hmm. and people from Eastern Nigeria. You know, the people from Eastern Nigeria have 90% of the cuisines they cook there is similar to the cuisines they cook in Eastern Congo. Mm-hmm. Their food is not even similar yeah. to that of the people in Western Nigeria. Yeah. So definitely, it is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. They must have migrated either from Eastern part of Congo, mm-hmm. or the people from Eastern part of Congo might have migrated from Eastern part of Nigeria. Yeah. Because the food tells a story. They have the same technical food. They have the same vegetables. There are fruits and vegetables that are synonymous with those particular regions that you don't mm-hmm. find anywhere else. Yeah. So it tells you something that yes, their forefathers and all whatnot. How come they're doing the same thing? So mm-hmm. at times, food apart from DNA can <laughs> tell you where people come from. Well, there's just like a you just find like those little links and pieces between pieces it all. You in know? them. So that's the interesting part of it for mm-hmm. me. That's the intriguing part. I want to always test the new food. I want to like okay, this food is telling a story. Why is it that people in this place are making this like this, and we are mm-hmm. making it like this too? What is the similarity? How are we connected? Mm-hmm. You know, so food tells a story. It can even tell you the story of migration, how people got connected to each yeah. other, and all whatnot. <laughs> and that's what people don't know. Mm-hmm. You understand? I, I think like one of the classic examples is like uh, how the Italians got pasta, and like they, I think they've they've discovered noodles in China with Marco Polo. They brought it back, and then it's like their whole cuisine now. And, and it comes pasta. You look at American food today; mm-hmm. it's history. On its own. Yeah. It can tell you, okay, this is where they got okra from. Mm-hmm. The slaves brought the okra into America. This Italian brought this into America. And this how they came with this food. So it tells mm-hmm. a story. Yeah. So that's why I tell people, listen, food is just not what you eat. It's your history. Mm-hmm. It, it tells a big, big story of where you come from. Mm-hmm. You understand? It's yeah. a custodian of your history. Your food is a custodian of your history. Because mm-hmm. with the food you're eating, we know where you come from. Mm-hmm the people you can identify with and all that. So food is, it's a very important thing. So when, when you're like uh, experimenting with new food or trying new foods or trying to find new foods, do you like, do you research them or do you collaborate with other chefs? Like how do you go about discovering new foods now? Um, I, 
I have not done any collaboration with any, uh, mm. I've done events with other chefs, mm. you know, guest chefs and all that, but I've never done any collaboration or spices with any chef. What I do is I just go to a community, mm. you know, we have different, com the, the beautiful part of New York is you can find basically all the communities in the world here. Right. There's an area you go, you have the Bangladeshis. There's an area you go, you find the Jamaicans. There's an area you go, you find the Guyanese. Mm -hmm. You find the Tibetans and, you know, different areas. So what I do is I take my time during my free days. Mm -hmm. I go to these neighborhoods and I go to the grocery store, their local grocery stores. They're, oh, they, they have this fish. Let me buy it. They have this spice. Let me buy it. And that's how I take their spice and I want and experiment and, you know, try something new with it. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're just always on the lookout, try new places, buy new foods, buy new spice, and that's that's just the way I do it. Mm, okay, that's great. I, I really admire the just like a lot of people who like you get into a creative thing. A lot of people kind of do it as a side thing. It's like for you, it's like food is like your whole life and all your time. Like in some way, you're exploring food. You're either making it or you're consuming it or you're thinking about it or experimenting with it. And it's so fascinating. Yeah, I tell people like, and food is therapeutic mm -hmm. to me. If I'm feeling down or I just feel weird and all that, I just go to my kitchen and start cooking. I don't have to eat the food. <laughs> really? <laughs> you understand? But I just go and it's like creating something. I'm like, okay, let us do this. And, you know, and lately, I don't know, for some reason, I think because I met you, it made, I I have um met a lot of vegetarians before, mm -hmm. you understand? Yeah. But I was intrigued when I met you and you said you're vegan. I'm like, okay, there, mm -hmm. there must be something interesting. That was before I went to Nigeria. And I'm like, I have to start working on, you know, vegan stuff. I like, I know there's a lot I can do yeah. with vegan food and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And that was how I made the research to get the vegan meat. You know, like most yeah. of the vegan chicken and beef and all whatnot are soy based. This is not soy based. Right. This is made with the boba, um, the, the, um, I've forgotten the name. It's a kind of wheat. Oh, uh, Satan, S-E-I-T-A-N? Not Satan. Um, um, it's a brown wheat. Um, what's the name? I forgot. If I remember, but I know <laughs> it's I know it's an Ethiopian um we um this thing. Okay, Ethiopian um kind of wheat, mm -hmm. and I think they added little soy to it. So, okay, yeah, it's going. Gotcha. That's interesting. Like one thing, I'm I I really appreciate you like looking into it and trying new things. It it's very cool. And one thing I, I always said, like when I became vegan, is like people would give me a lot of crap for it. And they're like, oh, like, yeah. they always say, like, what do vegans eat? What do vegans eat? And it's like in America, it's like before I became vegan, <laughs> all I ate was like Taco Bell and McDonald's and burgers and, you know, steak, like just whatever. And then when I became vegan, I really thought about it. I'm like, now I actually have to try a bunch of new things that I wouldn't have tried before because I have this like new restriction for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, like becoming vegan for my like palate, like and what kind of foods I'm interested in. It's like, it's like I always tell people, it's like if someone told me that I can never live in the United States again, it would just force me to live in new places, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, that's kind of what veganism has done for me, where it's like, instead of just always eating the foods I would have just eaten my whole life, I like had to branch out and try all sorts of new things from different cultures that. It's it's all very surprising. I don't know. And it's intriguing because like normally when people hear vegan, what they 
feel it's okay. It has to be boring. It has to be tasteless. Right. That's the general feeling. But for me, I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be. Right. It can be very tasteful and mm-hmm. vegan. And that's what I'm working. I'm even working on, you know, having people that are not ve- vegan enjoy the food and it tasted like oh my god you sure this is vegan no it's cannot be vegan it's vegan i'm yeah it's vegan you know and i'm i'm trying to like expand that brand mm-hmm. you know and help people you know do it like discovering that vegan beef it tastes different from every other vegan beef you have and mm-hmm. you know i had to research the company i went there the new company and all that stuff and I, we just spoke with them today we Discussing on even, you know, bringing it in large quantities here Whoa. and having it distributed everywhere because, like, I figured out how to make it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, <laughs> the way they did it before, it wasn't, like, that palatable. But I discovered you have to, like, probably soak it a little bit, then right. boil it, soak it with some, you know, spices and all what, not mm-hmm. boil it and all that to give it the right consistency and all that stuff. So since I was able to break that code, I'm like, yes, I think people are going to... F- be fascinated by this and yeah. you wouldn't believe it the whole thing i brought from nigeria is done like i only have one just one um serving <laughs> <laughs> you know so have you, have you sold that dish to like a lot of customers oh yes nice that vegan beef we've sold a lot of it. <laughs> that's very encouraging because like one thing is uh whenever a restaurant introduces a vegan option i'm always like I hope they introduce more and I hope people buy it and it shows that there's people who are interested in this. They expand the menu, you know? Yeah, a lot a lot of a lot of people. A lot of people bought it. So we're down to the kind of the last minute like little bit here. We're about to close out. Yeah. And I just want to ask you, you said a lot about like food connecting people, uniting people, it being therapeutic and stuff. In and this is a question I ask everybody, answer however you feel. But in, in your own like creative journey with food, is there like a theme or a message that you stick to with yourself? that like something that you tell yourself to like keep going, like when you're about to spend a whole day cooking for a bunch of people, what do you tell yourself to motivate yourself through it? I tell myself it is okay. You would finish this event. Tomorrow you wake up, you'd be satisfied because at times you get very tired and you're like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've said that a lot of times. But mm-hmm. Okay, this is really what I want to do. But the funny part of it is, I wake up the next morning. I'm like, "Yeah, we did it. When is the <laughs> next wedding?" <laughs> so you know, I just encourage myself that you know, keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the pandemic was tough. Yeah, we basically almost lost everything we worked for all this mm-hmm. while. Like. No weddings, nothing from doing a three-figure business a year to not even doing up to one figure. Yeah. (laughs) You understand? So that was very challenging and it made me question myself, okay, if you had a regular nine-to-five job, it wouldn't be like this. You understand? It made me think. But I'm like, no, like I would keep pushing. Mm -hmm. It's what I love for me to leave the whole comfort traveling around the world and stick to my dream then yeah. it's what it i'm gonna stick with it regardless mm-hmm. of whatever happened and that every time i want to like go down i remind myself of that mm-hmm. why did you come to this place mm-hmm. you came here to achieve a dream and you just had to keep on going till you get to that peak that's wonderful and it's like a really good message especially like 
with your case, you were you were like, I already did the business thing. I already traveled everywhere. And then you were still not happy. You still wanted to come back to the food anyway. Yes. So that's wonderful. All right, Chef. We're we're all done with the yeah. interview. Thank Where you. can people find you? Um, currently, I am at Wellness Tea Therapy, um, mm-hmm. 525 Nostrand Avenue. You can always check on me there. Mm. If I'm not there, my food will be there, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a website or an Instagram people can find uh, you I on? have an Instagram and um, Facebook and a website, Delicious African Orchards. Um, once you type Delicious African Orchards on Instagram, Facebook, or on the net, you would find us there, definitely. Awesome. Cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in the episode description so yes. people will find it. Um, guys, seriously, you got to go eat some of this food. <laughs> if you come to my house, stop by Wellness Tea Therapy. You're going to love it. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for having me. This was an incredible episode. I learned a lot. And this is so much fun. Thank you so much for coming in again. Thank you. All right, guys. That's it for this week's episode. Tune in. Go go eat chef's food. And tune in next week for more Don't Quit Your Day Job action. And I will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.